All right, Genesis chapter 28. I'll pick it up in verse 10, and we'll read through and including verse 22. And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went towards Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and laid down in that place. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the angel stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac. The land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place. This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put forth for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of that city was called Luz at the first. And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. And all God's people said, Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we pray Thee now that You would open up Your Word unto us that we might once again apprehend the Gospel as it is in Christ, in the truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, Well, before we started, as you know, I read um, Ephesians chapter 2. And Ephesians chapter 2 is going to provide most of the commentary for this section here. So I want us to appreciate that moving forward, that... um, you would read that, if you're going to listen to this, you would read that so you would appreciate the many things that I intend to share with us this morning. I'm going to make reference to almost 50 different verses, which is typical when I preach, but I don't like to mention them because I have found if I do that, it makes the message longer than it need be. In addition to that, it breaks your train of thought, so that's why I'm, I'm giving you a list so that you can look at them. I'll throw some of them out so you can find your place in them, but um, it tends to break people's thought when you keep throwing those references out, and I would not want to break the logic that I build as I put this thing forward as it is set forth for us in Ephesians chapter 2 and what the God sets before us here. So um, the title of this morning's sermon is The Temple of God. This is why I don't do this on live video. (laughs) I'm all over the place. Okay, so the title is The Temple of God. Um, So 
metaphorically speaking, with respect to what's set before us here in uh, the scriptures, I intend to start at the top of what's known as Jacob's Ladder and work my way down. So the opening verse here, verse 10, helps us to appreciate the bigger spiritual picture of what is in view here. We know that before the beginning of time, there was a covenant or oath within the Godhead to make man in the image and likeness of God. And in that context, Jacob, as a type of Christ, is said to go from, quote, the well of the oath, which is what Beersheba means, toward Haran, which means towards their burning. So he's going from um, the well of the oath to their burning. This statement is suggestive of the Son of God proceeding from the Godhead from whence the oath is made to attend himself to the lost condition of man. Eventually, Jacob will get to Paden Aram, which we know means their ransom is high. Once there, we know that Jacob will serve many years before returning home with much fruit. Though he goes down with his father's blessing as heir of all things, he is heir of all things of his father, he comes home yet the richer. This, it can be said, that God does also when he, who is possessor of heaven and earth, that's Genesis 14, 19, he is possessor of heaven and earth and who lacks nothing in himself is said to be rich in mercy, which we read in Ephesians 2, 4, by ransoming a people unto himself shows, quote, the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. That's also in Ephesians chapter 2. Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, as the anti-type of Jacob, took on him the form of a servant and served God and man to make a people that are in the image and likeness of God, which is consistent with the oath within the Godhead that was made back in Genesis 1.26. As Jacob, the type, again, heir of all things of his father, returns from Paden Aram with much fruit. He returns with herds and flocks. So to Christ, when risen from the dead, quickening all the elect of God and raising them up together and made them sit together in heavenly places together in Christ Jesus. The unity of the three persons of the Godhead grew from three, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, um, to include all of those who are in Christ, all of the blood-bought saints, um, as many as are the stars in heaven. And the reference to the stars in heaven, of course, was what God said to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 15, verse 5. So Jacob, the type, who was rich, heir of all things, Christ Jesus, the antitype, who was rich, was made exceedingly rich through his redemptive work on the cross. That's the means and agency by which he's gathered people from all the nations of the earth into himself. In Jacob's dream here, we see a ladder set up upon the earth above which the Lord stands. 
In John chapter 1, verses 49 through 51, the latter is identified for us by Nathan, who God says is an Israelite in whom is no guile. He identifies that Jesus is the Son of God and is the King of Israel, and that the latter is the Son of Man. Christ identifies that latter as the Son of Man, helping us to appreciate that Jesus, who is God manifest in flesh, is the conveyance between man and God. Jesus, in whom dwells all the fullness of the Godhead, as Son of Man, and is a man, and as Son of God, is the Almighty God, and is therefore the agency of reconciliation between man and God. He is both. He is both fully man and fully God, and as such is the agency of our reconciliation between man and God. The God-man, Christ Jesus, is the ransom paid by God to God for man. I'm going to say that again. Christ Jesus is the ransom paid by God to God for man. And you recall he's going to get to paid in Aram. Jacob's going to paid in Aram, which means the ransom is high. And he's going to serve many years um, to bring home flocks and herbs and herds. It is the Son of God who stepped out of his glory and made himself of no reputation and it took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and as our ransom became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That can all be found in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, as well as John 17, 5. It is through the cross, through the death and burial and resurrection of Christ, that we, who are described as lively stones in 1 Peter 2, 5, are built up a spiritual house, which is the temple of God. We who are described as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, which is described as the temple of God. So while individually, individually we are the temple of God, that's 1 Corinthians 6, 19, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. It's Ephesians 2, 20. Now, individually we're the temple of God, and corporately we are also said to be the temple of God. That's 1 Corinthians 3.16 and 2 Corinthians 6.16. So, many lively stones chosen by and precious to God are fitly framed together and holy temple in the Lord, in whom we also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit, meaning quite simply that many stones become one stone in Christ. Many lively stones become one living stone in the Lord, in which is the habitation of God through the Spirit. So I'm going to simply say that again. Many stones become one stone in Christ through the death 
burial, and resurrection of Christ Jesus, efficaciously applied to God's elect by the Spirit. And this we see by the grace of God when we compare Genesis chapter 28, verse 11, with Genesis chapter 28, verse 18. You need to compare these two verses and look at them very closely. The Bible does not contain mistakes, and if God makes a distinction, it's up to us to pray that he will open up what that means. What is the purpose of him saying the things that he has said here? In verse 11, if you look at it carefully, and I tried to uh, read it so that it would uh, jump out at you, in verse 11 we see that Jacob gathers stones, plural. Jacob gathers, gathers stones, plural, and puts them, plural, for his pillows, plural, and lays down upon them, plural, after the sun was uh, set. I didn't read the words to sleep there because they're not in the um, um, Hebrew manuscript. So in verse 11, he's letting us know here that all these things are plural. He gathers stones and puts them for his pillows and lays down on them. When you go over to verse 18, we note that one stone constitutes his pillows, plural. It's now one stone in verse 18, which he then sets up as a pillar, singular, and anoints it, singular, with oil, typifying, of course, the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. So everything I was reading up to you up to that point out of the New Testament, making reference to many different verses, is really the commentary on what's taking place here speaking about what things Christ has done. So what we read here in Genesis 28, particularly verses 11 through 18, is suggestive of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Jacob, the type, lies down upon many stones, and Jacob, the type, rises up early in the morning upon one stone, which he then anoints with oil. The scripture is very clear when the... Um, Women come to the tomb of Christ. They come early in the morning. He is already, um, no, he's not there. He's already risen from the dead. So we should appreciate that there a resurrection is in view here. In here, Genesis 28, many stones have become one anointed stone, a pillar. Revelation 3.12 tells us that him that overcometh will Christ Jesus make a pillar in the temple of his God. Well, who was it that overcame? It was Christ Jesus who overcame sin, Satan, and death. And what is alluded to here in Genesis 28:18 is that um, it is Christ Jesus who overcame these things. And we overcome, we the saints, we the elect overcome by virtue of being in him who overcame all things. We ourselves don't overcome anything. We only overcome by virtue of our position in Christ who overcame all things. And uh, this is a good segue as we move from the top of the ladder, overlooking the scene upon which the Lord stands, to the bottom of the ladder where Jacob lies. Now, we should appreciate that the sun has set, so Jacob is lying in darkness, and we should appreciate that there's a light from heaven above. Jacob's still in darkness here. Um, Jacob is unaware that God is in this place. That's the language that he uses, that uh, he is unaware that God is in this place. And we should appreciate that whether we know it or not, God indeed is everywhere in the life of the elect. God has said that he will never leave us nor forsake us, but of a truth, whereas he has known and loved us from the foundation of the world, 
not only will he never leave us nor forsake us future tense, but he has never left us nor forsaken us, whether we knew him or not. Before we were believers, before he revealed himself unto us, the Lord was ever with us, shepherding and guiding us through this present evil world, just as we see him with Jacob here. Whether you knew it or not, from the moment you were conceived in the womb until this very day, Christ has always been with you. God has always been with you, watching over you, shepherding you, um, keeping you from killing yourself, keeping you from uh, getting into too much trouble. Only what he would have ordained for you to shape your life as he's going to indeed shape Jacob's life. As the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, we must appreciate that as the author and finisher of our faith, he ever works everything for our good. You know, the scripture tells us that he who hath not withheld his son from us, he who has given us his son, how could he withhold or how would he withhold anything good from us? That's a rhetorical question. He would never withhold anything for you. Having given his life for you and died for you, there is no good thing that God would ever withhold from you from the moment of conception and indeed all of the things that led up to that. Um, God has been watching and shepherding over us since before the foundation of the world. Now, what is sad and what is true for so many saints is that the promises of God are questioned. We question the promises of God as though he who spoke everything into existence and by whom the worlds were framed and by whom all things consist might not be able to do the things that he said he will do. That's the way we look at God. We have a very low view of God. He who created everything, who spoke everything into existence, he who holds every molecule, every electron in its orbit, every planet in its orbit, all the stars and constellations, binding certain ones, keeping everything where it is, we question his promises in scriptures because we bring God down to our level. And to do that is spiritual blindness. And so for Jacob, as all men... The light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. The Lord is standing above the top of this ladder, just as Christ came into the world, where it's quoted in John 1, 5, light shineth in darkness, and darkness comprehended it not. Jacob has this vision, and he does not comprehend it. Jacob sees the Lord, and Jacob hears the Lord. And Jacob turns God's I will, in verse 15, and there are several of them, Jacob turns God's I wills, into an if in verse 20. Into an if in verse 20. In Genesis 28, 15, I'll read, And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. I'm going to interject in here. God has given him many promises. One of the promises he has given Jacob is that in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Think about that promise and what is required for that to take place. I shared with us that once before. Christ has to come from the loins of Jacob. God's going to be with him until that um, is a reality. God will be with him even into the future um, because the Lord says that, um, that people out of every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue shall be in glory. When Jesus is speaking to the uh, scribes and the Pharisees, he says that he is the God of Abraham, 
Isaac, and Jacob. Not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. So we know that this isn't just a promise that, like, I'll be with you until you get back here to Bethel, but I'm going to be with you for eternity. So when you read a little promise, keep in mind that it has far-lasting consequences, consequences that are, quite frankly, eternal in terms of their fruition and reality. So, again, God says here that he is going to, uh, he shares many I wills with Jacob in verse 15. Then you get down to verse 20 and to 21 in Genesis 28, and we read, And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. If, everything begins with Jacob with an if, if all of these things be true, then shall the Lord be my God. But I want us to appreciate that indeed the Lord will be his God, but not because Jacob makes him so. He will be his God because God loves Jacob. And because of that love, the Lord will be with him. The Lord will keep him in the way. The Lord will give him bread to eat. The Lord will give him raiment to put on. The Lord will bring him to his father's house in peace, but not the way Jacob thinks. While it is true that the Lord will certainly do all those things for Jacob in a superficial sense, meaning he will make sure that Jacob gets to pay in Aram and will have something to eat and something to wear, and the Lord will get him back to Beersheba, back to Isaac, in a more important and meaningful way, what God will also do is bring Jacob to his heavenly father's house in peace to Bethel, which means the house of God. Bethel means the house of God. And that means that God will ever be with him. The Lord will keep him in the way. The Lord will give him the bread of life the true bread of heaven, the bread of God. That's all John chapter 6, verse 32 through 35. The Lord will give him those things. The Lord will give him the garment of salvation and the robe of righteousness. It's Isaiah 61.10. All of which I'm sharing with you, all of what this means is that the Lord will give Jacob Christ. The Lord will give Jacob Christ, which is what God does to all those whom he loves. It is only through Christ, the way, that we might come to God the Father in peace. Um, fed and clothed by Christ, of Christ. It is only through our Lord Jesus Christ that we have peace with God through his efficacious work on the cross. But Jacob doesn't understand any of this. He is afraid, and he accounts the place as dreadful. Though the Lord is in the place, and nigh unto Jacob, Jacob does not understand. God has not yet shined the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ into his heart. He sees the light, but it's not been shined into his heart. His heart is yet like unto the city of Luz. This is verse 19 of Genesis 28. His heart is yet like unto the city of Luz, which means perverse. It is yet dark, 
and deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That's Jeremiah 17, 9. It is yet dark and deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And it will be that way, it will be so, until the Lord makes that place, his heart, into Bethel, which means the house of God. God will speak to Jacob a total of six times as he shepherds him in the way, preparing his house for an habitation of the Lord, anointing him with the Spirit, conforming him to the image of his Son Christ, the first begotten of the dead. And this the Lord does to all of us, sealing us with the Holy Spirit of promise, speaking to us through his word, which is the Bible, and through his spirit, conforming us into his image and his likeness, making us the house or temple of God, as he will do Jacob. Amen.